This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 10th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today, Q1 of 2021. Just about in the rearview mirror. My hope is that this year has kicked off well for you as we all continue trying to make sense of it all. COVID, politics, religion, culture, mother nature, I don't know. But the whole world just seems a lot crazier these days than I can ever remember before. And many of us occupying it seem a bit angrier and more out of sorts than at any previous time in my life or memory. For certain, the volatility of pandemic and politics all by themselves have put many in our slice of life, the business of franchising, to the test. And not just in business, but in our personal lives as well, with many of us revisiting our personal values and life decisions. But it hasn't been all bad. And in fact, for some, 2020 broke records with numbers never before seen or recorded. Who better to talk with today about some of that than Mike Bidwell, president and CEO of Neighborly, formerly and for many years known as the Dwyer Group. Last year, during the height of coronavirus, Neighborly ended the year with 382 new franchises awarded across their two dozen-plus brands, added five new franchise brands to their portfolio, and scored global sales in excess of $2 billion. But as Michael tell us, it didn't come easy. In fact, it didn't come at all. They chased it. They did what they've done since the very beginning. They strategized, they adjusted, they made many necessary pivots, and then they went after it. When I return in less than two minutes, I'll be joined by Mike Bidwell with both his own inspiring story, along with the history of the Dwyer Group and Neighborly, the company he leads and continues to grow. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments, based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. Each week, I try hosting guests that have stories to tell and who are willing to drop a breadcrumb or two for those listening to learn. Well, this week's story is a classic. 
Mike Bidwell's career in franchising began as the owner of a single rainbow carpet cleaning franchise. He went on to become a multi-unit, multi-concept franchisee before becoming the president of multiple Dwyer Group brands along the way on what is truly a story journey. Today, he leads the charge for all of Neighborly as president and CEO, responsible for their go-to market strategy as the parent company of their 26 franchise brands, providing residential and home-based services through more than four. 4,500 franchisees, and eight corporate support centers throughout North America, the UK, and Germany. Mike Bidwell, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you. Happy to be here, Stan. Well, it's a real pleasure to have some time to spend with you, sir. It's been many years that I've known you, but I think this is the first time we're going to have a one-to-one kind of a conversation like this. And I'm honored to do so with somebody that, in my view, is pretty iconic. You went from franchisee to the head of a franchising empire, and we're going to talk more about that in our time together today. But the first thing I have to do, Mike, is ask you to roll back the tape and tell us how franchising found you. Well, I was born and raised in Arizona, Tucson, so uh, we'll start there. And so I went to school at the local university and University of Arizona. As I was graduating, I interviewed with Shell and took that job in Houston. And it was a great job. I loved it. As a young man, I got to do things that I was surprised I got to do. It was fantastic. But my wife was uh, getting a little homesick and we were thinking about starting a family and she wanted to get back to our roots around the rest of our family in Tucson before we did that. So I thought, well, all right, being married is good. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'll go to Tucson too. But I thought, what will I do? If uh, if I do that, there aren't any oil companies in Tucson. And I got to thinking about self-employment. I had done pretty well at Shell and uh, for the four years that I was there. And I uh, thought, well, maybe I'll just do something for myself. I happened to have my carpets cleaned by a rainbow franchise owner at, at my home. And I was there. So we struck up a conversation and I met him at, yeah, maybe I'd like to have my own business too. And he was very enthusiastic about what he was doing. So, well, I didn't really think I would consider being a carpet carpet cleaner, but he turned my name in as a hot lead. And the next morning, the phone rang early. And uh, my first conversation was thanks, but no thanks. But 30 days later, as it turned out, I was going through orientation in Waco, Texas and resigning from Shell Oil. So that was uh, age 26. We moved back to Tucson and uh, opened a rainbow franchise. And my plan was, although it was quick, I did some due diligence. Uh, Stan, we had a couple of really strong franchises in Houston, and I had visited with them. And uh, I was aware that some folks had opened a franchise and built it up and then sold it. And uh, so I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to open this and build it for about three years. Uh, then I'll sell it and figure out what I really want to do once I'm reestablished in Tucson. But it kept growing and growing, and you know, pretty soon I was in the top 10%, and after just pretty short time maybe two or three years. And then I became the first multi-concept franchisee in the business. Ultimately, I had three of the brands. And my Rainbow franchise, the last four years, we were in that. We were uh, the largest franchise owner by a good margin and top gun in all the brands, um, franchisee of the year in a couple of them. So at that point, the founder, uh, Don Dwyer, had passed away in uh, late 1994 from a heart attack, an unexpected, unfortunate thing. And the acting CEO, the guy that stepped into the role, Robert Tunmeyer, called me, and he's the guy that brought me into business. And since I was the largest Rainbow franchise, uh, Rainbow had started to maybe get a little dated and struggle a little bit. So he reached out to me to see if I'd consider being brand president of Rainbow. 
And uh, my thought was, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I appreciate you thinking me that way, but I already moved out of Texas once. So, and I didn't think my wife would go back, but uh, as it turns out, she, she would. And uh, I was intrigued by, could I do it? And that's the why, why I took that, that role. The easy thing would have been to stay and do what I was doing. And I was looking for another business to layer on as well at the time. And it kind of caught me just right. So I did it for the challenge. How many franchises were there in the Rainbow System when you bought yours? Well, it started in 81 and I brought, I came in in 84. Uh, so you're pretty was, early. Uh, well, I was pretty early, but if, it was really kind of the Wild West days of franchising. Uh, we, we kind of call it back then, of, you know, remembering affectionately. Uh, they had weekly training and I had 30 people in my class. Uh, I think I was number 455, believe it or not. So Don um, had a lot of success early on in that brand and they kind of blew it up, ultimately got it up to... Uh, maybe eight or 900 franchises. And when you took over as brand president, how large was the brand then? It was about probably 700. There were a lot of owner operators in the business and we were, we were trying to transition the business to owner, not operators, uh, owner manager concept. So we wanted people to build something of significance. And originally the business was carpet dining and cleaning and I'd transition my business to carpet care and restoration with restoration becoming more important. And, and that's where we really needed to take the brand. So we did a brand refresh that, that first year after I got to headquarters, we initiated a brand refresh and repositioned the business. So we lost quite a few franchise owners in that transition because not everyone wanted to be a contractor. And so from brand president, what were some of the milestones from 95 to the current day and your contribution to the leadership of the Dwyer Group and its evolution into neighborly? I mean, the big growth has really been on your watch over these past several years. So share with the audience some of that secret sauce that has made the Dwyer Group what it is today under your leadership and the leadership of those that came before you. Sure. It's a long, rich history, but uh, and so much has happened, but I'll try to uh, not drag this out too much. So I came in in 95 and we had some brands that probably we shouldn't have owned. Uh, we'd opened several brands that were startups in fairly quick succession, probably quicker than we should have, uh, which is probably a, a thing that a lot of entrepreneurs might do. And the founder, Don, was quite quite a promoter and was certainly an entrepreneur. And unfortunately, he did pass away in, in 94. Robert Tunmeyer became acting CEO, and, and uh, Dina was just starting to get into the business a little bit. She was doing some other stuff outside uh, the DeWire group at the time, uh, managing some other businesses that they had in the family. Uh, but over a little bit of time, Dina became CEO, and a little, little bit of interesting fact that people probably aren't aware of, all those businesses that we had, we had a couple of counting businesses. We probably didn't have any business owning, and so we apparently didn't know much about running those. Uh, we're bleeding cash. So I got there in 95 with my head down trying to figure out how to be a brand president. It was funny, Stan, in the uh, first probably month or so, I told my wife, I don't know what I was thinking taking this job. I don't think I read fast enough. I'm not smart enough to do it, and uh, I'm not sure what I was thinking. But pretty soon, pattern match and muscle memory sets in and started to you know, be able to process the work. And I realized later there was a bit of a backlog. But I had my head down just trying to get Rainbow kind of repositioned. And once I picked my head up off the desk, about a year later, I thought, well, you know, I'm not sure everything's really healthy here at the parent level of the business, and, and it wasn't as it turned out. We were bleeding quite a bit of cash. 
about a million dollars a year we were losing. You know, a lot of it was those businesses that we owned, and we had a lot of startups. And as many people know that may listen to this, starting a franchise business can be a, a slow road and uh, can take a while to get everything just right to where you're cash flowing and hit a good spot on the J-curve. And we were certainly there. And compound that with the fact that the company was public. We were a penny stock and uh, really didn't have any business being public. So you had all that baggage that goes along with that. As it turned out, the outside board kind of stepped in in 98 and said, we have to do some drastic things at the urging of our CFO, who was relatively new at the time. And we had to cut a lot of staff and trim things up and go into survival mode. So that's what we did. We had to get rid of more than a million dollars worth of payroll. And we weren't all that big at the headquarters at that time. And in 98 dollars, that was, that was quite a bit of payroll. So we started making our own coffee and vacuuming our own offices and taking out our own garbage. And I ended up running two more brands at that point. So we had to get rid of some senior folks along with others. And so I went from running our oldest brand to also our largest brand and our newest brand at the same time. And then shortly after that became COO of the parent uh, group as well, of Dwyer Group. So that was kind of a crazy time. We turned it around fairly quickly, though, stopped the bleeding, got rid of those accounting businesses. And then uh, fast forward from uh, 98 to doing that to 2003, we sold to private equity. And then that's when the family was able to realize some liquidity in the estate. And we were private equity sponsored at that point. And today we're on our fourth iteration of that. So there's a lot that's happened since then, but we were making $7 million of EBITDA back then. These are pretty old numbers, so I'm happy to share those with you. <laughs> but we were at a point where the family could sell the business and they owned most of the float on the stock at the time. So we really needed to get to a different place because just to capitalize the company and operate it better in the estate, it was good to get them some liquidity because just where we were was not a good place being public with them controlling most of the float. And we weren't performing well, so it was just a, it was a tough time. So what came so, after that reset? What came after that was we partnered up with Riverside and we had a very good relationship with them. And Dina was CEO at the time and very focused on communications and values and that kind of thing. And she's a great communicator, as you well know. And uh, we, were, we partnered up pretty well together and had a great run with Riverside. We grew the business to a point where Riverside had realized their investment objectives and we were getting ready to exit. In um, 2008, we hired an investment banker and getting ready to go to market. But right before we hit send on the teasers, it's when you know, things fell apart in the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. So certainly weren't going to sell anything when there was no lending available. We didn't put it on the market. It wasn't on yet. We just parked things and uh, kept our heads down during the Great Recession. We were able to keep the business fairly flat which you know we were feeling bad about at the time, but as it turned out, that was pretty good in retrospect. And then after uh, the dust settled, we uh, traded to another PE sponsor in, in 2010. So that was uh, December of 2010. And along the way there, right after we had traded to Riverside the first time, we acquired a company called Harmon Auto Glass. So when we got rid of those accounting businesses, we took the money that we did get for, for those businesses and acquired a company called a Glass Doctor. And Harmon Auto Glass was a, all company store brick and mortar business that was bleeding cash. So we bought that in a fire sale and we turned all those company stores back into glass doctor location. And where we couldn't do that, we either closed them because they were losing money.
money, but we did all that very quickly. And we did about 100 transactions, Stan, in the course of 18 months. And this isn't 100 franchise sales. These were actually selling stores with leases and vehicles as well as properties and then selling the franchise to somebody if there wasn't already a franchise there and then converting the store to a franchise. So it was a crazy, crazy time. But we all grew a lot because prior to that time, I kind of knew everything that was going on in the business or I did. And um, at that time, we, we had all these, uh, there were 100, about 180 stores across the country, and we had all these employees that were operating them, and it was kind of like the little fish swallowed the big fish. Mm-hmm. And we had to learn how to you know, manage your other people at that point. And I remember being un- so uncomfortable that I didn't know what was going on in all parts of the business. And I, I, it was probably one of my first lessons that you just had to trust that others were doing their part. And yeah, so that was a good experience. You know, it was back in 08, nine, maybe 10, that uh, another good friend of mine was invited to make a move to Waco, Texas. As I remember, he jumped at it. I'm talking about Mark Liston. And I remember when he left South Florida working for Joe Bordeaux and came to become a part of the Dwyer Group. What a life-changing event for he and Mary Kay. Yeah, they, they were uh, great. They've since retired and they're enjoying retirement, but just recently. But they, they were great. They really fit in well with our values. We're very careful about our culture at, at Neighborly. And, you know, that was something that Dino was a big advocate for. And, and we continue to, uh, to make sure those are out front of what we do. It's I think it's been a big part of our success. Well, talk more about the values and talk more about the current day and what we're looking at in a post-COVID world when your name is neighborly and all you're in business to do is to provide services to those at home where just a ton more money is being spent these days than has ever been done by homeowners before. We're going to be right back to continue the conversation with Mike Bidwell, president and CEO of Neighborly. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zor Forum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive set so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.org. That's www.zorforum.org. And the conversation continues with Mike Bidwell, president and CEO of Neighborly, as we talk about the current world that we've confronted this past year. While many have struggled through 2020, Neighborly managed to figure out how to award 382 new franchises and bring on five new brands during the COVID era. Mike, that's a feat in and of itself, isn't it? Well, it, it is. And it was a busy year for so many reasons. 
in this COVID-inspired pandemic was certainly unique to all of us, and we all had to figure out how to operate during it. But like many, we were heavily focused on that for a while, but uh, quickly recovered and figured out how are we going to move the business forward under these new conditions? And that's exactly what we did. But, you know, I, I think because we were a franchise business and we have we have to support franchise owners that are remote, it really put us in a better position maybe than many businesses because we were used to operating and supporting folks remotely and using things like Zoom and, and such. So certainly there was less travel and less in-person training. We did have to pivot and do some things we didn't used to do, like sell a franchise stand over the internet. I mean, who would have ever thought a year ago that somebody would buy a business without ever seeing people face to face and taking a trip and making sure this is what you want to sign up for. But that's exactly what's happening today. Yeah. So it, it was a big year and it was a busy year, but we're happy to have that one behind us. You talk about technology. You guys do something in franchise development that I thought was brilliant. I remember reading a blog that hit my inbox, my personal inbox, and it had something to do with one of the franchise brands that were then part of the Dwyer Group. And I clicked on that blog and I read the article with interest. And within minutes, my phone rang and it rang from a phone number that looked very similar to mine, had the same area code, had the same three digit extension on the front end. And I was getting a phone call from somebody at the Dwyer Group who said, we noticed that you were reading an article that we posted and, and had some interest. Did you ever think? about owning a business. And I was just kind of finessed into a conversation with somebody that was very, very proactive and very intentional on the part of your development team. But it came at me in a way where I was almost seduced into an idea about business ownership that I may or may not have been thinking about. I was so intrigued by the way you guys were going about proactively reaching targets that were people, or I don't know what research got my name on that list, but you were clearly proactively outreaching for candidates for franchising, not just waiting for portal leads to dive through and to throw away 90% of what you get because it's not really going to get anywhere. Well, that's right. We have a lot of brands, so we do need to sell a lot of franchises. Look, we're quickly headed to 500 units a year, new units, new heads, and these are additional unique new sales. So we're not talking about people buying additional territory or something like that, but that's what we need to, to meet our ambition. So everyone's focused on doing whatever they can to get to that, and we can't wait for it to show up. Uh, we've got to take control. This reminds me of what happened when I first started my rainbow business when uh, the phone wasn't ringing. And uh, it was a time when one of the ways we got business way back then was telemarketing. And I didn't like getting those calls as a consumer. So uh, it was showing up in our work product as a the young new guy that opened a franchise. I didn't have a lot of working capital. And I was getting a little frustrated and then angst entered the picture. I was starting to blame my franchisor. And then fortunately, I caught myself and I thought, well, you know, if I'm still at Shell, I'd get up early in the morning and I would go to work and I wouldn't come home to the evening. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I remember sitting at the edge of the road stand thinking, left or right, I guess I'll go right and I'm not coming home to the tonight. I don't know who I'm going to see, but uh, I need to go see somebody and talk to them about cleaning their carpet. So as I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking property managers, apartment complexes, they must have a lot of carpet. That's what I did all day long. And I picked up a very large account that first day. I just walking in and saying, hi, I'm Mike with Rainbow. I don't know who does your carpets, but I'd like it to be me. We ultimately became the largest in our city doing just that. And it was taking action and not waiting for to, to come to you because I learned for several weeks in business it wasn't going to come to me. Nobody knew I was there and nobody cared. So that was that was probably my first lesson in taking control. And now what, 4,500 franchises across the brand? That's right. 4,500, 26 service brands, 2.5 billion in system sales. And we've almost tripled the business in the last six years, I would say. And that's about 1,000 uh, on the staff? We do. We have over 1,000. And we're, we've got staff in Germany.
Germany, the UK, and then uh, in the US. In this post-COVID world, you couldn't be positioned better in, in terms of the footprint, right? So it's, it's home services. It's a lot of related businesses to where you touch a consumer once and you can touch that consumer 26 more times, right? That's exactly right. That's the plan. So it is 26 brands, but they're all in a well-defined space. Uh, I learned a lesson in those early days when I was talking about those accounting businesses that the Dwarf Group owned in the early days that we weren't very good at running. Uh, it was eating our lunch. So I learned then that you need to pick something and do it well. And while it looks like we have a lot of brands, we do, but they're all very similar in what we do. We've defined our sandbox as repair, maintain, and enhance of homes and properties. And so we've been collecting up brands in that sandbox, in that space. And a large part of what we do each day, each of our franchise owners, is very similar, far more similar than different. So we can leverage our intellectual capital internally to create a lot of efficiencies and back office. And we've done that for a number of years so that we can build best-of-class home service franchise concepts. But now we want to extend that to the, the front end of the business as well with the customer. We want to extend those efficiencies. And how do you do that? So we knew that how people were shopping for services was changing because it had changed many years ago and how people shop for products and Amazon and others that train people to be comfortable with shopping and conducting commerce over the web. So we knew that was going to extend to service, and it certainly has. So the idea was to create a, uh, a go-to destination for home services. Essentially, we want to be the epicenter for home services, and we needed a consumer-facing brand to do that, and that's why we created Neighborly. Dwyer Group wasn't a consumer-friendly brand. It was never envisioned to do that. It just happened to be the founder's name, and, and, and that name was never marketed out in the marketplace beyond the brand franchise community. So if we were going to be consumer facing, uh, we had to come up with something. So that's how we arrived at Neighborly. Then we started co-branding that with all of our brands and it's our connecting brand. So the goal is through various mechanisms to extend the customer from one of our brands in each local market to all the brands in each local market so that we can multiply franchise owners' business. We want to drive down their customer acquisition costs and drive up their profitability. That'll increase franchisee validation, which will attract more people to the ecosystem. It'll all become very self-fulfilling. And of course, each new acquisition we do to bring into the sandbox brings a whole new set of customers with it. And it works in much the same way that I described. And why have we been on such a sprint, if you would, to acquire all these businesses? Because we think there's a window to, uh, to own this space. And if you're going to have an online destination for home services, you have to have enough of a service offering to be relevant to the consumer or, you know, they're not going to bookmark your, your page or, or, or keep your app. So today we have that relevancy and we're not done yet. So we'll continue to add brands within that sandbox. You bring a whole new meaning to economies of scale, Mike. <laughs> We hope to. That's the plan. It's been uh, it's been an ambitious plan, and I mentioned before on our fourth iteration of PE sponsorship, and I'm very uh, thankful for that because. I'm a big advocate because they bring capital and uh, appreciating what they need out of the relationship. Uh, they've been very supportive uh, with that capital, and that allowed us to execute on our ambitions. So I would say it's worked out very well for everyone. I would also say that because of that, I think our customers are better off, our franchise owners are better off, and our 
associates with a neighbor later better off because of that. I want to spend some time before we run out of time talking about the post-COVID world that we live in now and how while home maintenance and taking care of home because we've been spending so much more time in them makes nothing but logical sense. How have you and corporate and your franchisees had to pivot to convey the levels of trust to consumers that they're allowing people into their homes to do this work in a very, very scary time. How has that affected the business? Well, it certainly has. In particular, with some of our brands that are in the home frequently, you think of our Molly Maid brand, where you're going in every couple of weeks to clean someone's home with uh, a couple of people coming in the home. So we had to make people comfortable that we could do that safely. So it all has to do with messaging and how you interact. First and foremost, you want to keep your service professional safe, because if they're not safe and healthy, then you certainly can't send them out to uh, you know get in front of your customer in their home. But then we had to make sure that the customers felt like we were safe. Um, we wanted to make sure that it was a safe environment for our service professionals to go into. So there were many things we did. First and foremost, we changed our messaging on our websites and our campaigns. We had to review all of that messaging to make sure that there wasn't anything that would appear insensitive in a COVID crisis environment that pre-COVID crisis was not. So we did a quick review of that. And then in addition to that, you had to do some additional messaging around safety and care and that kind of thing. And then we had to change procedures. There were things like uh, virtual and remote estimates through video chat and phone calls with customers and contactless paperwork and payment methods. So we had to do some pivots there and, and change some of our procedures and, and even technology. We did things like limit service professionals and vehicles. If you had jobs or crews that were two people, more than one person, they had to take individual vehicles to site, uh, dispatch people from, from their home directly versus having them come to the shop. And when you didn't need them to come to the shop, it was the one at a time. Increased sanitation and hygiene before and during and after the job and, and communicating that to the customer and displaying it. You know, you had to orchestrate it and it wasn't just tell them, but you had to make sure that it was very obvious to the customer, including scripting like, I'm going to be working in here. It'd probably be best if you're in a separate room while I'm working so that we can keep each other safe. So things like that, there were lots of things to, uh, to go through. And many of our franchise owners innovated out in the field. It was kind of a two-way street there, Stan, as far as communication wasn't one way. We asked franchise owners what they were experiencing and pivoted from there, but we were also seeking all kinds of information from CDC and other places. And a lot of communication was going on. We had a very robust communication plan in place shortly after the crisis hit. What are you looking ahead to in 2021 and beyond? What's this year looking like to you? Changes in political climates as well as the COVID, post-COVID years? How is this impacting your planning and strategy for 21? Well, I'm excited to see the vaccines are becoming available because I'm looking forward to getting everybody back in the office and collaborating face-to-face more. Uh, we will continue to do some remote working just because we've learned that we can do that. And we've picked up some efficiencies like these crises normally present opportunities to learn and grow. And that certainly has happened in this crisis. So there are going to be some long-lasting efficiencies that businesses have discovered that will have long legs to this crisis. The other thing that's going to have long legs is people working from home and causing more stress on the home. But we know that that's going to be useful to us. So people spending more time, they're using the appliances, the plumbing, the air conditioner more. They're also more observant. It used to be they had busy lives and they would come home in the evening and maybe getting the kids ready for bed. And then it was time to have a couple minutes to themselves and go to bed. But now when they're sitting around the home all day working, you know, they're staring at things and wondering, why am I putting up with this? I've got to look at this all day now. 
allergy. So there, uh, there's a lot of home improvement renovation going on today. And then you've got people that are migrating out of the urban centers and into the suburbs. We think that there's going to be a, a lot of that happening for an extended period of time. A lot of building going on, and uh, all of that is going to bode well for us. So, And being designated an essential service is, is something we didn't have the benefit of a year ago. So I'm, I feel fortunate in that regard. Sometimes you're just lucky in business. And mm-hmm. I think post-COVID crisis, well, even during, we feel so fortunate that we happen to be in a space that wasn't impacted nearly as badly as so many others. You can be a very good operator, maybe the best at what you do, but if you're presented with a situation like many were, you have to navigate around that. And so for that reason, we do feel fortunate. So I think that the future is very bright for us. We're going to continue to add brands. I don't know that we're going to do five a year. I don't think uh, we'll expect to do that again, but we'll see what happens. But we'll continue to fill in the white space with the brands that we do have. And then uh, our franchisees will continue to have very strong same-store sales growth. And that's certainly the intent. So we'll continue to execute on the plan. And we tend to be the go-to epicenter for home services with Neighborly. Well, it's an exciting time to be in your business. It's an exciting time to be business period. But I really want to tell you that you've shared so much with this audience that is working perhaps on their first brands, but so much of what you're talking about is so applicable to this audience because it is the same things that they need to be doing with one brand that you're doing with 26. And I can't thank you enough for giving of your time to share so much, Mike. Before I lose you, is there anything that I didn't ask that you might wish I did? No, not really. I think what I would like to maybe close with, Stan, is maybe give a little little bit of advice to those that might be listening, particularly if they're new, and that is have clarity of purpose about what it is you're setting out to do. Know what outcome you want and how you're going to get there. you got to be very clear about that and pick something and do it well. You know, go deeper in, in what it is you do and how are you going to differentiate yourself? You've got to have clarity around those things. Part of success is, is longevity and tenacity at executing on what it is you do and doing it better than anyone else does it. And, and you have to bring some people along with that. You've got to convince others as to why you're going to go there. You know, why does it matter? Well, it all sounds like principle-centered leadership, and it's certainly something that's been part of your life for as long as I have known you. And I thank you again for bringing a taste of that to us here today on Franchise Today, Mike. Uh, My pleasure, Stan. All the best. And the same to you. Mike Bidwell, President and CEO of Neighborly. Well, that's it for today. Next week, we'll do it all again when I'm joined by Adam Long, president of Home Team Inspection Services, where they've put a very different twist on how home inspections get done in the world of residential real estate. But until then, take a page out of Mike Bidwell's book. Keep making great things happen for your franchisees, yourselves, and all of those in your orbit. Work smarter, hit the gas harder, and punch through anything that gets in your way. I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes. 